Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. We have some market commentary and a corporate introduction to a new company that has never been featured on the show. So happy to welcome First Cobalt. But before we get to that conversation with Trent Mel, let's run over some numbers right now. Gold having a little bit of a green day. That is up about uh, three-tenths of a percent to 1911 futures basis. Silver up about a half a percent to $24.54 futures basis. The GDX and the miners having a pretty decent day up over a percentage and a half. And the GDXJ up another percentage and a half. That at about $56.11 intraday. Uh, we are going to step away from precious metals and, and talk some cobalt. Uh, Mr. Trent Mel, welcome to the Mining Stock Daily Podcast. How do we find you today? Thank you very much, Trevor. Doing very well. Good to hear from you. Well, we, we're going to cover. Uh, we're going to try to cover as much information a little amount of time. But be, since you've never been on the show before, uh, and for maybe people who are unfamiliar with First Cobalt, give us the way of the land here. Sure, Cobalt. We're we're a startup. Uh, all of us came out of sort of bigger mining companies through our career and uh, scoured the globe for cobalt assets, which are in short supply, and landed on three assets uh, in North America. So our flagship. Uh, mineral properties in Idaho. We've got a secondary mineral property in Ontario. And the flagship asset that's really driving the company right now is a permitted cobalt refinery, the only one of its kind in North America that could produce battery grade cobalt for electric vehicles. Uh, so tell us about this refinery. Is it it's up and running and producing or, or how, is it being fed at all? Not yet. It was operating from, uh, it started in 1996 and ran intermittently till about 2012. So been on care, sorry, and even 12, 12 to 15, a little bit. So it's been on care and maintenance. It was a smaller custom facility treating sort of complex beadstocks. Uh, when you look at the supply chain, though, it became evident to us there was a new purpose for it. Most of the cobalt today gets mined in the Congo, and most of that under China's Belt and Road policy then goes uh, to that country, to mainland China for refining. And as a result of that, they control 80% of the market. And so our business model, uh, working with Glencore as a strategic partner, is to take a page out of China's handbook and basically take the feed from the DRC and bring it to North America so that we have our own domestic supply. All the while, we develop our, our domestic assets to eventually feed that refinery ourselves. What was it about a cobalt market in the early 2000s that led people to build this thing? Back then, it was, uh, you know, there are North American deposits of cobalt, and there was Cuban deposits that could find their way into Canada as well. Uh, a lot of it associated with nickel. And the product, though, that it was producing was a cobalt carbonate for animal feed. It was going into horse food, believe it or not. Um, so that was its product. Uh, North American feedstocks are, uh, you know, before EVs, we didn't really, as a, as a community, as an industry, go looking for cobalt. So there is not a lot to be said in terms of true cobalt mining on the continent. That will change, but it is still some years away. Meanwhile, most of the world is looking to the DRC. And so security of supply in a growing EV world is, uh, is essential. And this asset becomes really important to building out the North American supply chain. Uh, so you said the DRC uh, material is it, planning on feeding this refinery. Uh, can you talk, you know, when we talk about Congo and cobalt, like, you know, it just tends to give people some heebie-jeebies a little bit, but yeah. tell us about how you're sourcing this. Yeah, that's important because when you look at uh, where cobalt comes from today, Trevor, there is only one primary cobalt deposit in the world, and that's uh, that's in Morocco. Uh, I will tell you the next two are going to be in Idaho, which is pretty special. So so cobalt today, you're getting about 30% of global stocks are coming out of uh, nickel operations as a byproduct, and the other 70% uh, roughly is coming out of copper operations, which is where the DRC comes in. That's the bulk of that. 
uh, with Zambia. And, and just the nature of processing, when you're getting cobalt out of nickel, you tend to put that into a metallic product. So that goes into aerospace and things like that. Whereas the DRC feed is, uh, again, the processing me methods and the nature of the, the material perfectly suited for electric vehicle batteries. Uh, now, the DRC has its challenges and, and artisanal mining uh, is a way of life there where there is no social safety net. It's a way of life in uh, Latin America uh, with gold as well. And so, you know, in navigating that supply chain, uh, I think what became apparent in the, in the boom we saw in 2017 uh, was that some of these operations were engaging in uh, forced labor, uh, child labor practices and the like. And so while I think there was a way as a world community for us to engage in and support artisanal mining, it's not our business model. We're just too small to get into that. So we are partnering with a, frankly, a very significant commercial operation that would be no different from the commercial operations you would see anywhere in the world in terms of health and safety and uh, and, and, and labor practices. And so how, what's the middle? Can you just kind of walk us through how the, the ore goes from being mined in the Congo and it gets itself into Ontario? Yeah, absolutely. So, so what what happens is uh, you're mining. It, it's called the African Copper Belt. So, mm -hmm. as the name implies, you're you're mining copper. So, in the country, they they you know they usually open pit, big open pit minings. You run it through a processing facility, and you're producing a copper cathode that uh, you know within country is then shipped to its final market for 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 end consumption. And the cobalt, while significant on a global scale, is still a byproduct of those operations. A big one but it's not the biggest revenue driver. And so the, again, go back to China Belt and Road, as China started to look for security uh, of raw materials, uh, you know, years before we started to focus on this, uh, the, um, the the business model was to acquire a number of these copper operations and to take the cobalt and rather than beneficiate or upgrade the material in country, you would treat it into a sort of a high grade powder form, it was called a cobalt hydroxide. And then the infrastructure to refine that into it's like pink powder that goes into the batteries into a, a what we call a cobalt sulfate all of that's done on mainland china and so you've got policies that are supportive of, of china belt and road and you've got infrastructure that's already set up uh, outside of the drc that's not going to change anytime soon and so the short-term best way for the us and canada to get its security of supply is to export it via south africa on a boat and in our case, it would come to the port of Montreal and then be trucked up to our refinery just north of Toronto. And what, what, what does the price of cobalt need to be to make this economic? I mean, China aside, because, you know, a lot of times China operates on different different agenda. But yeah. when we're talking over here, what, what kind of price do you need? Yeah, so if you look at it on, on a per pound basis, uh, cobalt, you know, it's gone as low as kind of $11 and as high as 43 during the last boom. Now, 40 bucks doesn't make a lot of sense. It scared the heck out of all the EV manufacturers because it is the most expensive raw material in the battery and the cathode in the battery period. Um, but, um, you know, we're, we're sitting, uh, COVID took us down. We were sitting 16, $17 a pound, which, which was pretty good on our way to, actually we were close to 18 on our way to 20. Uh, COVID brought it back down to, you know, about $13 and it's crept its way back to about $16 a pound today. Um, at this price, we're we're comfortable. Our our refinery is uh, could be profitable. Moreover, uh, it could be competitive with with the Chinese facilities. So it's not a big you know Western white elephant. This is something that can go toe to toe. The, the variability you got to look at it. How much are you paying for your feedstock? Mm -hmm. And so there's this interesting pricing dynamic between what you pay for the feed and what the what the end product is, is going to cost you. 
And so that can squeeze your margins up and down. But you know, refining businesses typically you uh, you know you, you your margins are a little bit less uh, volatile than the than the miners themselves and the commodity. So you know, as I look to where where cobalt is going, we've got long-term price assumptions backed by a London consultancy, Benchmark Minerals, that's suggesting you know twenty-five, twenty-six dollars is a good a good estimate over the next decade. I don't think we're going to get much above eighteen this year, uh, which is fine because we're still a year and a half away from production. And, and by that point, I see twenty plus dollar cobalt, uh, which provides some really good margins for us. Uh, talk to me about this cobalt market. I mean, you you didn't mention it at one time not too long ago. Cobalt really was kind of the queen of the EV rodeo, up to north of forty dollars a pound. Since uh, has kind of came down. You know, we saw Elon Musk and Tesla talk about trying to reduce the amount of cobalt in their uh, new generation of batteries. Uh, what sort of implications or stresses might this have on the cobalt uh, industry and, you know, and also on your business model? Yeah, you know, anytime uh, Elon Musk has something to say, you know, we all we all stop and listen. And, and you know, two or three years ago, he had a tweet uh, that went out that I, I still hear about where he said our next generation of, of batteries is going to have no cobalt. And, you know, we're not there, but, but Tesla does have, Tesla Panasonic does have a unique uh, battery uh, chemistry that allows them to lower the cobalt content. Now, why do you need cobalt? Well, cobalt, it keeps the uh, thermal stability of the battery in check. So thermal runaway leads to, bat- leads to batteries that catch fire. Uh, that's why you need cobalt. And the other reason is the longevity of the battery. You don't want your battery to lose its range uh, five years out. And so to give that 10-year warranty and to keep it safe, you need some measure of cobalt. Over time, uh, engineers have managed to lower the content in favor of nickel. Nickel gives you more range, but it, it, it heats up more. So you know, simplistically, we've gone from sort of 33% cobalt content down to 20, and we're on our way down to 10. Tesla, meanwhile, is sitting below 5% cobalt cathode. They're not at zero. And so I, don't know, I, I took that as meaning zero is, is still aspirational and, and zero today really means uh, near zero. And I think zero for Tesla uh, three years out really does mean uh, near zero. There's no, there's no tangible evidence uh, or timeline or roadmap to suggest they're actually going to get to zero, but it's gotten pretty low. And I, I don't see that as a bad thing. Uh, again, going back to benchmark, they would say that as you move down from a, a 33% cobalt down to 10, uh, you're still going to need 4X the amount of cobalt because penetration rates when EVs are growing at 10, 20, 30, 40%, you know, year over year, if you look 18 to 19, those growth rates far outstrip any reduction in cobalt content. And it also lowers the price of the battery when you have less cobalt. Oh, let's, let's kind of take a step away from the market and let's talk about Iron Creek. You are starting, or you probably have wrapped up some geophysical work on the property yeah. to define some more drill targets for follow-ups uh, for people who are unfamiliar with Iron Creek there in Idaho. Give us kind of the way of the land there. I absolutely love Idaho as a state. Uh, great people, uh, great mining history there. And when it comes to cobalt, they've got something pretty unique the world over called the Idaho Cobalt Belt. And so back in the 1950s, well, actually from 1902 to 68, there was a, an actual cobalt operation they're called the Blackbird Mine. Didn't end well. Environmentally, uh, the stewardship there was, was very poor and uh, became a super fun site. And so putting aside that environmental legacy, which you, you, just, you just wouldn't repeat uh, in this day and age, we have got a fairly rich belt that is primary cobalt, like that Moroccan mine I mentioned to you. Idaho has a situation where the main mineral is cobalt and the byproduct is copper. So very special. Uh, but 
These are smaller than the Congolese deposits. They are also pretty high grade and they're underground. So it's a small environmental footprint. Uh, our Iron Creek deposit uh, is one of two advanced assets. We've got a mineral resource there. And what I like about it, uh, Trevor, is just the continuity of our deposit. I mean, we're drilling in some of the thicker areas, 10, 20, 30 meters of continuous mineralization. And so when you get into mining, it's one thing to have you know, high grade deposits, but if, if you don't have the continuity, if you don't have the tonnage sitting you know, adjacent to each other, then you've got very high development costs and it's hard to make a go of it. Um, I love what I'm seeing there. We haven't done an economic analysis of it yet because we're still drilling it, but we've got several million tons of material. It is high grade by global standards and we've got the copper credit to go with it right here in America. So geophysics, uh, we're just trying to identify how much bigger this deposit gets. It's it, right now it stretches over, I'm sorry, I'm going to say meters here, 900 meters. <laughs> and we're going to try to try to double that. Um, and we've also got a couple of satellite deposits. Um, we, we backed off on this uh, over the last year and a half only because cobalt uh, was going through a, a, a pretty deep correction and we didn't want to um, sort of spend all our capital there while we were advancing the refinery. But I, you should expect that we'll get back at it next year. And uh, I, just can't, I can't wait. It's a, it's a beautiful place to operate. And, uh, and this deposit is going to keep growing. I'm good converting feet into meters. That's when you try to talk Celsius here. That's when you lose me. So, <laughs> that was sick. A little harder, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, follow up, but just kind of on your strategy here, and this is very kind of forward thinking here with, uh, with um, uh, Iron Creek. Yeah. Um, you have, what's the opportunities here with this project? I mean, Obviously, the junior mining strategy has always been, you know, we're going to build this out and put up these technical reports and uh, maybe we'll sell it off and, yeah. and for a premium and everybody's, all the shareholders are happy, yada, yada, yada. But we've seen something different lately. And like an example would be Piedmont Lithium over yep. in, in uh, I think it was North Carolina, that announced uh, a business strategy with Tesla, Tesla for the lithium. Do you think yeah. there's opportunities there for something similar to kind of uh, disrupt the supply chain for these materials? Yeah, I mean, to your, to your first point about, you know, uh, drilling and standing by for somebody to pick it up, that's not really in our DNA. Um, I think if it happened, I'm a shareholder and I, you know, my first year I didn't take a salary, I, I invested in the company. So, so I'm aligned, you know, at the right price, I, I'm not going to get in the way but I'm not going to sit idly by waiting for somebody to come along either. So our strategy is to drill this, make this as big as possible, permit it, de-risk it, build it, et cetera. I candidly, um, again, given the cobalt's just coming out of a, a bit of a slumber here, I, I'm kind of running scared. I'm, I'm worried that somebody could take us over now at a, at a depressed price, seeing the value down the line. Um, what's going to really unlock value for us over the short term is going to be a, a couple of big catalysts around the refinery, notably, you know, the, uh, the commercial, terms with our, our Glencore on our Glencore um, strategic relationship. But, but all the while, I think, I think what Piedmont did, uh, others are doing my conversations. I think I'll go back to the refinery here. Uh, my conversations are directly with the OEMs uh, as well as other traders and battery makers and the like, but you know, this is a whole new supply chain and the OEMs are concerned. It's the most expensive part of the electric vehicle is the battery and the cathode portion of the battery uh, thereafter is, is the big focus. And cobalt is the rarest of all commodities. So we're having those conversations. They're kind of reaching over their suppliers and trying to see if they can lock down supply. And you're seeing it with Glencore, uh, you know, direct feed deals with Tesla and, and others in the market. So it wouldn't, it shouldn't be surprising if we entered into direct, uh, direct relationships that way. I do think like Tesla, I think you're going to see other OEMs trying to vertically integrate right up to our gate. So that is to say cathode making, precursor manufacturing, cell manufacturing, 
all of that within the roof of the EV. We're not there yet, but there's a whole new ecosystem being developed and we're all trying to figure out, you know, who's going to get the chairs here on the floor. You said something, you said something there very interesting and I want to come back to it because it, it kind of caught my attention. Um, so you said, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if people are looking at you to, to kind of catch you at a low valuation here. Yeah. Um, you know, you're trading at 13 and a half cents Canadian. It's been in this range for almost yeah. two years now. Yep. Uh, given the last cobalt deal we saw where it was basically sold at the bottom, I don't want yeah. you don't want to do that. No, no, I don't want to do absolutely don't want to do that. <laughs> I want to, I've got, we've got a really good two year trajectory ahead of us. And so, um, you know, uh, again, I'm not going to get in the way. But if I had my druthers, let me get through the next 24 months. You know, we're going to finance the financing for the refinery. Um, it's not there, but I've got a number of people ready to proceed. I, again, I got to wait for that that commercial contract to be to be finalized. Uh, but if I can get constructing, uh, this is a facility that's already largely built. It's built. It's permitted at a lower throughput. So we're talking permit amendments and some some add-ons, a lot of engineering and equipment. So the flow sheet is fairly straightforward. There's just a lot of value that can be created. And if you look at the, the price forecast for cobalt over the next year or two, also looking very strong. So we're we're definitely vulnerable. And, the, and, and look, we have been stuck at 14 cents. It's been exceedingly frustrating. And part of that, we, we merged with an Aussie company. We got a high share account. Um, there, there's things we need to do to sh- clean up our, our, our capital structure. I can't do that until we've got these big catalysts behind us. And notably, you know, a rollback can make a lot of sense, but you never do that from a position of weakness. I looked at about 30, 36 different rollbacks and the ones that were truly successful were the ones that were done in conjunction with some some big catalysts. So yeah, don't be surprised if we do that as well, but we'll not do that in the current environment because I think it's just going to be self-defeating. Okay. Uh, Trent, I appreciate your time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for that uh, introduction and just overall a good conversation about the project and projects in the market itself. Thank you, Trevor. You have a great day. You too. That's Trent Mell. He's the CEO of First Cobalt, which trades on the TSX Venture with the symbol FCC, and also on the OTCQX in the United States with the symbol FTSSF.